0: In 1896, the highest summit in America was named by a gold prospector in support for the then-presidential candidate, William McKinley, who became president the following year. Of course, for centuries before, it had gone by a different name. On this week's episode of America's National Parks, Denali, the 20,310-foot Alaskan summit and the 6 million acres of land that surround it in Denali National Park. Up first is the late Chief Mitch Dementive of Ninana and the legend of Denali.
1: Long before Denali was created, there lived in Alaska an Indian named Yahoo. He possessed great power, but had no wife. Yahu built a canoe and paddled west to find one. As he approached the raven chief's village, he began singing a song that explained he was seeking a wife. The wife of the second chief spoke softly, You may have my daughter for your wife, but take her and go quickly. The raven chief is preparing to kill you. Yahu began to paddle away with the young woman. The raven chief was right behind him the raven chief caused a great storm. The water became very rough. Yahoo took out a powerful stone, threw it ahead of him, calming the waters, but mountainous green waves continued to roll behind him. Next, the raven chief threw his great spear straight at Yahoo, but Yahoo, using medicine, changed the large wave behind him into a mountain of stone just in time. The great spear glanced off the crest of the stone mountain. There was a second tremendous wave of water, even greater than the first. Yahoo used all his medicine to turn this wave into a tremendous mountain of stone. When the great spear hit the top of the mountain, there was a crash of breaking rock, and the great spear flew off into the sky. The raven chief was paddling so quickly his canoe struck the second great mountain of stone. The raven chief was thrown onto the rocks where he changed instantly into a raven who flapped to the top of the mountain. Exhausted, Yahoo fell asleep. When he awoke, he was back at home with his new wife at his side. Gazing around, Yahoo saw the two mountains he had created. There was a smaller one to the west, now called Foraker, but the larger one, the one the Great War Spear, glanced off before shooting into the stars. That mighty dome would be called Denali, the Great One. Yahoo looked to the sky to see the Great Raven, happy to be back with his people, dancing his approval in the wind.
0: Denali may not be the highest summit on Earth. That, of course, belongs to Everest in the Himalayas. But Denali is actually a taller mountain from base to peak, rising 18,000 feet from its base. That's about the equivalent of 14 Empire State Buildings. Everest rises only 12,000 feet. The climb up Denali is nowhere near as technical as Everest, but its sheer elevation change and its location still make it one of the most challenging climbs. Mountain climbing tales in history tend to read a little like fish stories. So it's not a surprise that there's been a long controversy around the first person to reach the top of Denali. The first claim was laid in 1906 by an explorer named Dr. Frederick A. Cook. In fact, he took a camera along and had pictures to prove it. The photo of him at the summit was published in 1908, along with Cook's account of how he had braved avalanches and ice cliffs to make the first ascent of the then-titled Mount McKinley. At last, Cook wrote, the soul-stirring task was crowned with victory. The top of the continent was under our feet. A couple years later, Cook also claimed that he was the first to reach the North Pole. But a guy named Robert Peary really did reach the North Pole and challenged Cook's claim to have gotten there first, putting the Denali claim in doubt as well. Not many believed Cook's story after that, save for a few historians and family members over the years that tried to prove it. Many of his photos seemed like they were taken elsewhere. And finally, in 1998, the negative of the summit photo was discovered, It showed that the published photo had been heavily cropped, and in fact, Cook was at a spot only 5,000 feet up the mountain. Meanwhile, back in 1910, four Alaskan gold miners were sitting in a bar debating Cook's claim to have reached the top. They were unconvinced and bragged that they, as Alaskans, would fare far better on the mountain. The bar owner bet them $500 that they couldn't do it. Now, these guys were not climbers. They were middle-aged, overweight, and had no real climbing experience. Yet, in mid-February 1910, these four miners set out to climb Mount McKinley. And on April 3rd, they made it to the top, where they planted a flag. Or so they said. Their claims were a little far-fetched. Honestly, who could believe they really did it? For example, they said they had climbed the last 8,000 feet in one day. Hikers today take 10 to 15 hours to do the last three to 4,000 feet, which they do on the final day. And even though they brought a camera, none of the photos they took were at the summit, but they were so adamant that they made it. A couple weeks later, the New York Times Magazine published expedition leader Thomas Lloyd's story of their climb. It filled three pages, including notes from his journal and it convinced a lot of people. But for others, the claim was still very much in doubt. So another expedition set out in 1913 to reach the summit and to verify Lloyd's story. And in fact, they reached the North summit and found the flag that Lloyd's party had planted. Four overweight miners with no hiking experience actually did it. Not so fast. It's important to note here that Denali has two peaks. The south, which is the tallest, and the north, which is about 300 feet shorter. It would appear that Lloyd and the miners only made it to the north. Now, the story changes a bit here. The miners claim that they only put the flag on the north peak because it would be visible from below, which it wasn't, and still said they actually reached both peaks, Many years later, a couple of the miners admitted that they only reached the North Peak, but claimed that it was only because it was the more challenging climb of the two. The story would have been incredible enough without the lie, but now it taints their claim forever. That said, the climbers that set out to verify Lloyd's story actually did reach both peaks and are credited with the first summit of Denali in 1913. On the 100th anniversary, In 2013, Jay Elhard of the National Park Service described the first summit and explored the reason why climbers climb.
2: What's the point of climbing a mountain? What lessons are you or others really supposed to gain from the experience? For four men a hundred years ago on June 7, 1913, It may have been about earning distinction as the first to reach the summit of Mount McKinley, the highest peak in North America. Denali is not a highly technical climb, but it can be among the most challenging big peaks on earth because the wind and weather can be so cold and unpredictable. To this day, only about half the people who try make the top. Now imagine making the attempt a hundred years ago in 1913, four years before Congress created Mount McKinley National Park. Prior to 1913, eight previous expeditions failed to reach the summit. They included accomplished climbers, adventurers, and a scoundrel or two. What set the team of 1913 apart was that they were all hardened travelers of vast distances of Alaska wilderness in winter. For these pioneer climbers, there would be no modern 40-minute flight from Talkeetna to a base camp on the Kahiltner Glacier at 7,200 feet, their journey to the top and back would not be over within today's average of 17 to 21 days. Instead, the Stuck-Karsten's expedition began with 90 miles of overland travel by dog team from Nanana, then up the Muldrow Glacier, relaying ever higher more than a ton of supplies. From their base camp, they cut and hauled firewood thousands of feet above treeline, They hunted doll sheep and caribou to make hundreds of balls of pemmican, a slow-cooked dinner that would sustain them for much of their 77 days on the mountain. On the whole, their journey amounted to 93 days, from winter through spring and into summer. The expedition faced challenges beyond the mountain and fierce conditions. The team leaders quarreled, sometimes stridently. A fire in a supply cache torched silk tents, clothing, critical supplies, precious film and camera equipment. An earthquake the year before destroyed what had been an easier route for earlier expeditions. Instead of a relative stroll at one point, they spent weeks chopping a staircase more than three miles long through shattered ice boulders and debris. And then, on the night before the summit, three of the climbers were beset by bad cooking by the fourth. After only a few hours of attempted rest, the men set out at three o'clock in the morning when the temperature was 21 below zero. A bitter north wind that day very nearly blew them off an icy slope. But after 10 hours of slow, exhausting work, they achieved their goal. Clearly, the Stuck-Karsten's expedition staked a place in achievement lists and history books. But what else can we try to learn from their venture? When it came to homework and legwork, the leaders of this climb managed plenty of both. They sought out the experience of others and studied mistakes to avoid making them their own. They settled upon a best approach and paid close attention to detail. When much of their supplies went up in smoke, they responded to the setback with ingenuity. Rising above panic and despondence, one group traveled to base camp and back for reserves, while another cobbled together what they could from the remains. They sewed together a new tent from canvas. They found a way somehow to make do and move forward. When they found their route was blocked by the work of an earthquake, they persevered. Despite severe storms and the crushing enormity of what they faced, they hacked footholds for themselves up more than three miles of broken ice. At this point in their journey, there simply was no other way around but through. The composition of this climbing team proved that diversity works. One was an Episcopal archdeacon born in England who had spent time as a teacher and cowboy in Texas. Another was a gold prospector, mail carrier, and legendary outdoorsman who eventually would be appointed the first superintendent of Mount McKinley National Park. Another was a mission volunteer from Tennessee who was noted for strong character. And the fourth was a young Alaska Native whose strength and relationship to the landscape proved invaluable time and again to the survival and success of the group. If anything, this group might teach us a little something about respect. On the day of the summit, expedition co-leader Harry Karstens chose to leave Walter Harper out front, a challenging position that Harper had performed admirably for most all of the climb. So now history records that a 21-year-old Alaska native earned distinction as the first person to set foot at the top of a great mountain.
0: Denali National Park didn't actually include the mountain when it was set aside to protect doll sheep in 1917. It was expanded over time and is now a massive wilderness with very few trails, intentionally to preserve hiking and backpacking in a trailless landscape. The marked trails that do exist are centered mainly around the two visitor centers. There's one road through the park. It's 92 miles long, but only the first 15 miles are paved. That portion, leading from the park entrance to Savage River, is open during the summer for vehicles. Travel beyond mile 15 is limited to bikes and hikers and park buses. It can snow heavily almost any month of the year, so the road in spring or fall may be open or closed depending on conditions. You can see a lot from the park road, including the namesake mountain and incredible wildlife. One of the best ways to see the vastness of the park is a flight scene tour where a small private plane or helicopter soars you over the gentle foothills, along meandering glaciers, and up the rugged peaks of the Alaska Range. This episode of America's National Parks was written by me, Jason Epperson. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our new America's National Parks Facebook group for National Park lovers. We'll link to all of our social media as well as National Park Service resources in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. The America's National Parks podcast is part of the RV Miles network of web resources for United States travelers. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and I as we travel the country in our converted school bus with our three boys at OurWanderingFamily.com.
2: California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land.
0: The America's National Parks podcast is a production of Lotus Theatricals, LLC.